All right. Well, we are, um, we are just continuing our series here of coming to Jesus. Uh, we had a lot of, um, you know, I had a lot of prayer asking the Lord, what, what should we share about? What do you want to say to the church? What, what, is, what is this season right now you want to bring? And I really felt like the Lord uh, had this uh, theme, coming to Jesus theme. And man, it sounds like a funny thing to do in church because you, you would think people in church have already come to Jesus. But I just want to encourage you that coming to Jesus isn't a one-time thing. Getting your ticket into heaven, yes, that exists. Saying the Lord's prayer uh, and, and receiving, saying the sinner's prayer, receiving Christ into your life, confessing him, that's great. But, but Jesus is a continual relationship. And if you were here last week, I talked about how Jesus feeds us and that oftentimes the enemy will try to deceive us by taking stones as bread, things that are morally okay, things that are not necessarily evil, but we end up having desires to live off something other than Jesus and we end up having full bellies lacking all nutrition. We have these stones. And last week we talked about laying down those stones and taking the bread that Christ gives us. What is that bread? So I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about a continuation of that uh, kind of message last week and, and get like, an, like even a little bit more in depth. And I wanna talk about something that is something Jesus referred to in red letters and that's abiding. Does everyone understand abiding? I love that word. It's such a great word. Abiding uh, kind of infers whether you want to stay or not. The, the literal meaning of abiding is to stay, remain. Um, uh, but the, the way Jesus uses it is in a continuational thing. It's like, like you, you, don't, you can abide somewhere temporarily, but when you're abiding, you remain. It's a constant. It's not just a one-time thing. When we come to Jesus, it needs to be continual. I wanna read to you several scriptures. Uh, we're gonna be in John uh, this evening, the book of John, who, which is like one of my favorite books of the Bible. If you've not read John, read John. And then he's got a couple continuations after that. All right. Uh, John 5, 38. John 5, 38 through verse 40. I think we might have some of those up there. If you didn't bring your sword today, you have a little sword inside this little thing, uh, phone. And then if you want to just follow along, you can too. It says, but you do not have his word abiding in you. Because, him, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. He's talking about him, Jesus. The Father sent him and you don't believe him. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus here is showing that this, in the scriptures, they, there's life in the scriptures because they're prophesying about the relationship they could have with God. You're, you're, you know, the Bible in itself is the word of God. It'll never change. It's our plumb line. It's, it's like if, 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 the, if someone came to me and said, you know, um, uh, you know, um, Paul, I, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my wife and marry the secretary. I would say, um, you're listening to the wrong spirit. 
Why? Because it doesn't align with the word. The word's our plumb line. It keeps us grounded. It keeps us centered. But how many know memorizing the word in and of itself does not guarantee salvation, right? Satan knows the word. Probably better than most of us, unfortunately. Because he quotes it to Jesus, right? He knows the word. We know he knows the word. So knowing the word in and of itself, in the word you have life. You can find life in there because it testifies of who is life, which is Jesus. I, I remember the first car I bought. And uh, I was stupid um, because I was 18 years old. I had a job. And my father allowed me to make stupid mistakes. And uh, I, I didn't take anybody with me. I went to the car lot, picked the car I wanted, you know, which probably metabolized 90% of my income. And uh, I signed for a car. And uh, my dad even sold car insurance. And he didn't tell me that buying a brand new car, my car insurance was like $540 a month, more than my car payment. He let me make that mistake. It hurt so bad. It felt good driving the car, though, because, you know, I'm like young and feeling like I'm free. Back then, uh, if you wanted freedom, you just you got your license and drove around. And so I remember uh, going on a, on a ride and uh, one of the first times I'm in my car and I have the, the music blasting as loud as I can. And I remember, you know, really enjoying it. And there was this little button that I hadn't pressed yet on my car and it said stereo. And I went, boom, and it went like, boom. it was like, 10 times the amount of power and sound and going from all around me. And, you know, this is what I like to compare it to. It's like when you're reading the word, it's like monophone. But when you're also listening to the spirit and the word, it's like stereo. It brings so much more fullness to, who, to your life, your walk with Jesus Christ. And so we have to constantly have this awesome love for the word of God and the voice of the Lord. And remember, through the Holy Spirit, they don't contradict one another. And that's how we stay balanced. That's how we stay grounded. We're a church that's based on the word, following the Spirit. And so abiding with Jesus is essential to living a supernatural, filled life with him. I want to read to you a longer set of, excuse me, set of scriptures. It's in John 15. And Jesus gives some awesome illustrations. John 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abiding you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, I just wanna, this, this word commandments are not just the 10 commandments. These commandments are things he says and tells us to do. When he commands us to do something, we're so connected to him that we do them. You abide, you abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I mean, this scripture could just preach. I don't even, I could just get off and you know the stage and you guys would be like, amen, and we'll pray and the Lord will show up, hopefully. But abiding um, uh, infers whether you stay or not. Jesus uh, has this imagery of him being the vine and we are, are abiding in him as a branch. And he's the one who feeds us. I, I remember, um, if, if, as you guys get to know Ruth, she, um, she has her uh, master's in environmental science. She's a, uh, an, a, uh, an ecologist. And she would go in Australia in the bush and she would have to like, take um, reports and see how many, you know, certain trees are in a certain area. She would have to trap animals and see, you know, if there's any endangered species and all this stuff. And she was like, oh, she was like, a, I don't know, a wild, a wild I, I would never do any of that stuff. And uh, she, she, she could rough it and do all that stuff. She's much stronger and fearless than me, much more fearless. Uh, I, I would be worried about poisonous snakes. I don't know if you know this, but Australia has like the, some of the most poisonous snakes in the world. And, uh, and they just go trudging through this tall grass. And actually one time, she, she, I, I asked her, I said, you know, aren't you scared of you know, poisonous snakes? She's like, well, if you're the line leader, you actually don't need to be that scared. Because what happens is, if you accidentally step on a snake, it's the person behind you that has to worry because the snake will jump up. And that actually happened one time. She stepped on one, you know, she, she felt it, she popped up and the snake uh, jumped and lashed out at the person behind them, but they didn't get struck, so it's all good. But, um, but so anyway, my wife loves plants. Um, if you ever saw a picture of her old house that we had moved out of in Pennsylvania, she cultivated a, a beautiful, beautiful garden in our backyard. And, um, and then she would like... <laughs> She would like rescue plants. You know how some people rescue animals? I would come home and slowly my house would turn more into a, a forest of sorts. And, and she would get a plant and it would be looking dead. She would bring it back to life or she would, she would, she would see it like, you know, pulled out of the ground. She would get it. She would pot it. She would bring it in our house. And slowly our house is growing with this foliage. We had a, a fig leaf tree that when we got, uh, she, she, someone was moving and they, they asked if she wanted it, so she took it. And it's a fig leaf tree and it was like this big in, in a pot. And we brought it to our house and within two years, it was 10 feet tall. It ran up our ceiling and it was this enormous thing. And I don't know how she does it, but she has this green thumb. Whatever she touches grows, you know, it's like, wow. And I remember, um, you know, uh, one time she had uh, a bunch of, uh, flowers and they were cut. She got wild flowers. She likes to go on walks or runs and she'll cut some wild flowers and she brought them back and she put them in a, a glass vase next to the sink. And, uh, and I had been going into this ministry uh, that was so um, consuming of my time. I was doing a, a, a massive uh, evangelism outreach on a division one college in Washington state and, uh, and as God had asked me to do this, and you'll hear that, that story another time, but it was so 
so much stress, so much pressure. Uh, I had to do everything from, you know, the biggest vision to the smallest detail. And I'd never taken on a project like that while I'm married and family and all that stuff. And I was so consumed by it, I had not realized that my communication, my abiding with Christ had dimmed. I didn't know. Didn't, I just got so consumed. And one day, I'm at the sink, I'm washing my hands, and I see the flowers that were cut and in that vase. And the Lord speaks to me. And he says, you know, Paul, you're a lot like that flower. I say, oh, thanks, God, it's because I'm pretty. Because <laughs> I just glow, I just got this, what's going on, how you doing? He said, no, he said, that flower looks alive, but it's really dead. It'll eventually in a few days shrivel up and die. You've been living off old regurgitated words. You've not been abiding. I was like, Phew. I realized that I was not staying connected to God. I was not, of course, I believed in him. It's not that I wasn't going to heaven. I'm not trying to say all that. I was not living a life abiding in Christ. And so what's that mean, living a life abided to Christ? It's staying connected to him and being able to hear his voice. It's not in just what you do that means you're abiding. Now, yes, what we do is evidence of of God in our life. It doesn't mean we have faith, but you know, uh, works without faith is dead. Faith without works is dead, excuse me. Faith without works is dead. So it is what we do that shows that, that our, our life is committed to him. However, for a proper healthy diet, it's about also what you eat and what you do. For instance, if I just go to the gym and work out, Many of you probably already know this, some of you might not, but if I just go to the gym and work out and uh, eat whatever I want every single day, pizza, calzones, lasagna, ice cream. Yeah, it sounds really good. Philly cheesesteaks, a good hoagie, chicken cheesesteak hoagie. Uh, I don't know if you guys have that. Enchiladas, okay, thank you, yeah. Burritos, smothered in... Cheese, I don't know. It doesn't matter how much I work out. Any doctor, any nutritionist will tell you that actually you might get stronger, but the reality is that's not how, that'll still make your health suffer. And sometimes we only focus as Christians on what we do and not how we're eating. And so what we're doing is, is maybe, you know, uh, helping out in a certain ministry or maybe, you know, obviously being good, good uh, 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 fathers and mothers and husbands and wives. Uh, that is definitely holy and you should do that. But it's also, how are we feeding ourselves? Are we really eating from him? Are we staying connected to him, staying connected to the vine? All right. I, uh, I, I, I remember... Uh, reading about this because I started to get obsessed about abiding and looking at like, what was Jesus talking about and, and how are, you know, plants are so incredibly interesting. 
and I started studying about plants and trees, and, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to navigate some risky waters in this, in this uh, congregation because Andrew Lizanoli, who's a member here, uh, does like, he's like a tree expert, okay? So uh, he might correct me. He might come up one day and correct me. But this, I, I did read this, and, uh, and I'll talk to you about it. But I don't, uh, up until recently, um, people didn't understand how trees would know that water was in a pipe. Did you know that oftentimes there'd be certain trees that actually will go towards a water pipe, wrap its roots around the water pipe, and often burst the water pipe to get into the the pipe. So they knew that trees did that, and so oftentimes we would plant trees away from pipes or have to cut them down when we found out that they invaded the pipe. Uh, It's very common. But no one really understood why the tree knew that there was water in that pipe. It's interesting. Some, would, some had assumed that, well, maybe the, the tree um, uh, sensed the moisture around the pipe, and there was like maybe condensation from the difference in temperature, and so it was attracted to the moisture of the pipe. But until recently, I'm going to read to you from, from a, an actual article about this uh, these scientists, and uh, he happens to be Italian. Who knew? Just, you know? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that uh, their, 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 their research found that trees actually don't go towards the moisture. They go towards the sound. It says this, in other words, I'm, summari- I'm, I'm reading just the summary part. It says, in other words, Plants respond to sounds rather than the presence of moisture, as if they can feel sound. The team played water flowing through a sink and a recording at the same sound to common pea plants with roots separated in tubes and examined how the roots responded. The scientists found that root systems did not grow toward the recorded sound, but they did grow toward the water flowing through a sink. They could distinguish between fake water sounds and the real thing. The scientist Gagliano, Italian, uh, says this, it was extraordinary and surprising that the plant could actually tell when the sound of running water was a recording and when it was real, and that the plant did not like the recorded sound. Not only that, when water was available from natural resources in soil and was still flowing from the sink, roots grew toward the natural source. This indicates the plant made a choice. From this, we begin to see the complexity of plant interactions with sound in using it to make behavioral decisions. So until now, it wasn't clear how plant roots located their water sources when no moisture was in the soil. For example, they would bust through sealed pipes to access the water flowing through them. The researchers believe the plants travel towards the water flowing through them. And the researchers believe that the plants travel towards uh, water using sonic vibrations initially but that the roots then made choices targeting the better source by determining moisture levels. And their, sound, their study suggests this, that they should soundproof pipes and it may protect them from the threat of root invasion as long as there's no water leaks. How crazy is that? Just like trees, I think in the DNA of our system, we're attracted to the sound and the voice of God. And that we can determine by the Holy Spirit, when it's a fake sound and the real thing, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that's our pipeline. 
Why? So we can stay connected and abided in him. You know, Jesus talks also about being grafted into him. And uh, I, I just, I love the grafting process. You know, uh, how many of you ever heard of a grafted tree or sometimes olive trees are grafted. Uh, sometimes they have uh, different fruit trees that they graft. And when I was researching a lot of this, they were trying to describe that oftentimes a foreign fruit tree or a foreign olive tree doesn't have the right roots to actually survive in the soil that it's being imported to. So what they'll do is they'll take the root system of a natural native plant and they'll plant it in the soil. And then they'll take the fruit, a branch of the fruit that they want, and then they'll cut into the side of the root system and plant that branch and tie it together. There's some pictures I think we can uh, show as examples. You guys with me, you guys okay? I just think this is so interesting. This is one of the things they'll do. They'll cut into the, the main vine, the main tree, and then they'll take that, that other, that's a foreign plant, foreign tree, usually in the same species, but foreign to the, to the land, and put it in there so that that tree, that new fruit branch, can survive and pull nutrients from a pure source that will survive in this environment. This exemplifies and gives us an example. I don't know if we have another. There it is. And then they do this grafting thing where they bind the flesh of the root system to the flesh of the branch so that they become one. And they tape it up or tie it up and then they actually heal that graft. And once that graft's healed, what's even more interesting, a grafted branch is actually stronger than any of the natural branches on that vine. So it can sustain more, uh, more weight, more pressure. This is a great analogy of who Christ is for us. Because we are the branches that have now been grafted in to who he is. And when we're grafting in, become solidified, there's nothing that can break it if we decide to stay and abide. I don't know if there's another picture there. Thank you, John. When we get even more into how trees are connected and, and how God had made them. Here's just some interesting facts that I thought was really cool that really can apply to the church. Certain tree species, it says that they found in a, in a recent discovery that trees are interconnected, and Andrew actually told me a bunch of this, and that when one tree is striving and trying to, and, and doing well, thriving and doing well, but another tree is hurting, that they found that the trees will redirect nutrients to the sick tree through the root system. Isn't that amazing? I also found out that the canopy of coverage, you know how trees come together uh, and, they're, and they're usually not out here, but it, in, in other areas. Maybe along the Bosque Trail, but but that they found that the, cat, the coverage actually, there's a purpose to it that it keeps the bugs and pests from damaging the other trees. And it acts as this natural protective canopy. 
And so I just love that picture because if we are a church unified in Christ, that when one's hurting, we all, and when one's doing well, we can pick one another up and carry one another, that we cover one another so that when the torment comes, we don't let these, these plagues of uh, pests come and try to invade our family of trees. But in abiding, it, it's two parts. It's him abiding in us and us abiding in him. And when you abide in him, it clears dysfunction. It brings rest. It brings peace. It brings joy. It, it, failure to overcome everyday life obstacles is failure to allow him to abide in you. I, I, I find myself oftentimes I'll be, um, I'll be off. I don't know. I just... I might not feel happy. I might feel the pressure of work or maybe feel the pressure of all the responsibilities that we have uh, in our personal lives, in our ministry. And, I, and, and, and I'm with my family and I'm not, and you know, I don't even know what's wrong. But when I can really be honest with myself, I realize I'm actually not abiding in him. I didn't have my daily bread. I wasn't not just reading his word. I wasn't even just listening to his voice. It needs to become more than just a Sunday thing or a Wednesday night thing or a Saturday night thing. It needs to become something that's a part of our everyday lives. And when we are grafted into him, we abide with him and we feed from him. I love this um, image. I, I, I talk, I, I've talked about this in my peace message, but I just wanna mention this example again if you've missed it. Here it is. If you've heard it before, I'm going to say it again. I know Pastor Alan Hawkins probably never repeated himself, but I just think this story really helps exemplify what it means to abide and how it transforms our lives. When I was, uh, you know, I grew up in an Italian-American household. My parents loved to cook. They cooked all the time. Uh, we moved from Philadelphia, the, 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 the city, to the outer suburbs of Philadelphia. And my parents were famous for making, like, they, they had this awesome meatball recipe. And so all our friends and people in our church would, would actually ask my parents for their, like, big parties, weddings. Hey, can you make like 200 meatballs, you know, or 300 meatballs? And they'd make these meatballs. And, and you know, it's great. I love the meatballs. And, um, and so my parents are always cooking garlic and onions and frying it up. And it's just this awesome time. And, and I remember when we first moved out into the suburbs, I had to go to a new school. It was, I was in middle school and I ended up going to middle school and uh, I made some really cool friends. We got to know each other after a couple weeks. They felt comfortable to ask me some questions. And they said, uh, hey, Paul, can we ask you a question? I said, sure, what, what's up? They said, uh, do your parents own like a meatball shop or like a hoagie shop or something? I said, no, why? They said, because you always smell like meatballs. I said, what, I do? And I remember, I remember going to my closet at home and smelling all the clothes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I do. I do smell like meatballs. And, uh, and I say, you know, that uh, Italians to this day wear a lot of cologne, not because they're arrogant, because they're just trying to cover up the meatball smell. That's why. You ever wonder why? That's why. They're worried. They are worried that they smell like garlic and onion. All right? So why am I telling you that story? Because we often treat Jesus or the gospel or whatever we're going through like, like a drive-through restaurant. 
Like we pull up and we order it when we need it and then we go and we're wondering why it doesn't work when the reality is we need to take residence in the kitchen. Where he gets so on you that when you leave, you do nothing but exude who he is. You can't get the smell off you. That's the difference between abiding and not. Taking up residence with him. Turning your affections towards him every morning. Having that daily bread. You know, when we come to Jesus, just like the disciples, they came to Jesus for themselves. Think about it. They came because they had aspirations and desires that they thought he could fulfill. And a lot of them he did. But you know why they stayed? For him. We come to Jesus often for ourselves because we see him as the answer for our own brokenness because he is the savior of our lives. But the, way, the reason why we stay is because he's so good. And he changes our paradigm. He changes our thinking. And we realize, wow, I thought this was really just all about me getting better. And I found out it's actually because I just love you so much. That's when him abiding in you and you abiding in him becomes so seamless. I'm tired of tripping up over obstacles. I'm tired of struggling through my journey. I wanna live where I feel him. I know he's just bursting inside me. And then I'm in him and I'm pulling from a pure root system. I'm not in that old world root system that's broken, that barely gives me nutrients, that I barely survive in because I wasn't created for a sinful world. So Jesus came and said, I'm establishing a vine that will never die. And I'm inviting you to be attached to it. One of the greatest imageries that I think Jesus uses a lot of imagery, uh, the bride, the church is the bride, he's the bridegroom, which means we have a marriage, we're married to Christ. How many know that the church is married to Christ? We're his church, we're his bride. We are married to him. Marriage is a covenant thing. You, you are making covenant with your spouse. But if you're married and you don't date, you can be married by covenant, but there's no relationship. I've been there. I know what that's like. Doesn't mean you're not there for them. Doesn't mean you're not gonna provide. It doesn't mean you're not gonna cook. You're not gonna help. You're not gonna, but it's possible to have covenant without relationship. Let me tell you folks, we can be in covenant with Christ and start having a dim relationship. And he wants to revive it. He wants to invite you and saying, look, you know, if, if you don't want to be with me anymore, we'll cut that off. If, you, if, if there's some wild branch coming off you, we'll, we'll prune that back so you can have more fruit. But listen, I want to feed you and I want you to come and be connected to me. And so let's continue this relationship. Let's revive it. I'm not here to build a big church. There's enough of them. I'm not here to have like bust out this wall, have more chairs, put a balcony in. 
start streaming all over the world. You know, like, I don't mind those things. I'm not saying that those things are bad. What I'm saying is I would rather have people who are rock solid lovers of Christ that just want to live for him because there'll be so much more that can be accomplished in the kingdom through that many people. Like Jesus did it with 12. 12 absolute lovers of him who were a bunch of scaredy cats, fell a bunch of times, really not, not amazing, talented people, but he actually used them to change the world. Our mission is to be so connected and burning for him. We can change the city with just a handful if we're, if we're willing to do it, if we're willing to be alive in him and him alive in us. All right. And the last thing I'll say, you can stand. Is this grafting process is an invitation to stay connected with him. I love, I love him dying on the, when he died on the cross, there was no bone broken. It was prophesied that there would be no bone broken in his body. And during his time on the cross, the Roman soldier, if you don't know the story, I encourage you to read it. They take a spear because they wanted to, usually they would break the legs and the person on the cross would collapse and suffocate. But they knew that Jesus was already dead, so they pierced his side and said that blood and water flowed out. And it's just like this imagery of that of that root system, right? With its side cut open so that the branch could attach. It's like Jesus cut his side open already for us. In that moment on the cross, he said, you can now be connected to me. It's been done, it's finished. There's nothing more you have to do but just give your life to him or recommit it or just stay connected. He'll do that for you.